Father, we do pray for just these individuals that we mentioned this morning. Pray for Rachel's boss that even this morning he would be on his way to gather with your people uh, and to be, have the word preached to him. Lord, he professes you and yet um, is not walking in the way he ought to walk. And so I just pray that you would grant mercy. Thank you for Rachel's uh, courage to be able to speak to him. And I pray that you, Spirit, would bring conviction and direction and help. Um, Lord, we pray for this fellow that um, Steve was talking to from Turkey. Lord, we pray that you would um, just thank you for that opportunity. Pray the seeds that were planted would um, bear fruit. Um, and uh, just, just pray for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we pray that uh, if there are any this morning who are coming to our gathering who do not know you, Lord, they would hear the gospel preached, that they would see uh, you gathering a people for yourself, and I pray that you would, um, you, would, you would save, oh Lord God. You are the God who saves. We want to see you save. We delight when we see you save people, even as you have saved us. We are so grateful um, for saving us to yourself. Lord, bless this time as we um, just kind of finish up in some ways of talking about uh, you as Trinity, and yet we know that that conversation has really just begun because all of life uh, will be, should be about uh, living in relationship and um, union with the triune God. So uh, we just pray that this uh, time we've had to concentratedly think about the Trinity would go with us in life and would change us. And we uh, pray that we would even worship this morning uh, in a Trinitarian way, um, and that you would be honored, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, the question we, when we're talking about the Trinity, the question we've kind of asked last week is, having looked at all of the distinct roles um, of the fathers, the Son, and the Spirit within the Trinity, uh, we have we transition to the question of, okay, if that's the case, we know, understand a little bit more of how they're three. Uh, how are the persons one? How is God one? And so we talked about last week, well, first of all, we need to understand and come back to the reality that God is one being. Um, so there's, uh, unlike the creaturely realm where you have a one-to-one -one correspondence between a being and person, uh, in God, the one true and only God, there is one being but three distinct persons. Um, so we talked about that last week. We all, uh, what we want to talk about, just kind of finishing up that idea of oneness today, is that that's, that's one key sense of oneness, right? That God is one being and yet three distinct persons. Uh, but we get a little more description uh, in the scriptures about uh, the oneness of the Trinity. And so let's go ahead and look at a couple passages in John. Uh, let's go to John 10. And let's read 22, yeah, let's do 22 through 39, um, just to get us going this morning. I'll go ahead and read this one. John 10, 22 through 39. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them, them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, um, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So, um, as we read this passage, what do you see in relation to oneness? Yeah, the Father and Son are one. Now, the question is, what does that mean in context, right? What is... What is Jesus talking about? 
Um, how else does Jesus describe this oneness in the, the passage? Yeah, they, good. They work together. They're doing the same works. That's what he says, right? Is, uh, if you don't believe me, believe the works so that what? You believe... What, do, what are they supposed to believe? What, what was that, Bruce? There you go. The Father is in him, and he is in the Father, which is interesting language, right? So, uh, but essentially, that's a synonym for the oneness that Jesus is talking about, right? Saying, I and the Father are one. We do the same works, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And so really, the oneness here is not so much the oneness of being, although, of course, that is true, and that is the background of what is happening. And we can also see that the Jews at least think that by Jesus claiming that he and the Father are one, that he's essentially claiming deity. So that's there. But more, what we see about the oneness here is a union, a unity, right? Uh, really, the idea of a sense of complete unity and harmony, okay? That uh, the Father's in the Son, the Son is in the Father in such a way that they do the same works, such that the Father and the Son are one. So... Obviously, the Father and the Son, they share the same divine essence and divine nature, but here, the emphasis on the oneness is unity, harmony. Really, you could say union uh, when you start using that language of in, right? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Is there another place in John where you've heard that language of in, um, and uh, even in relation to believers? There's a famous passage uh, in uh, John 13 through 17, there's a famous passage that talks a lot about like remaining in. Which passage am I thinking about? This is like Jeopardy. John 15, right? Uh, what is John 15 all about? Yeah, abiding in the vine, right? So there the picture is of the believer abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in the believer. Well, that gives us a nice concrete picture of the sort of inness that Jesus even is talking about with relation to the Father. It's a union. It's a joining. It's, a, it's as unified as you can be. It's not just like separate entities kind of unified in purpose. It's those who are in union operating in complete unity and harmony of action and desire and work, etc. Okay? So we, we can talk about God as one being, and that is absolutely true. But we are also talking about as the Father and the Son and the Spirit execute their distinct roles, there is complete union, complete unity and harmony together. We can see this again. Go to John 17. So the high priestly prayer, the Son is praying to the Father. Uh, someone go ahead and read uh, John 17, 20 through 26. Okay, so a lot going on, but what do you see in relation to oneness in this passage? What's that? Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's praying for believers, and he's actually praying for us, because he's praying for those who believe through the apostles' word, which is all Christians alive on the earth today, okay? Um, so he's praying for their oneness, but what's the... More specifically, what does he pray for with regard to their oneness? 
Yeah. Yeah, he's comparing it to the relationship between um, him and the father, right? So what the father and the son share, at least one aspect of the oneness that the father and son share, he wants believers to share in that. So we know that the oneness that he's talking about here can't be the oneness of being, right? Because we can't become one being with God. Like, that doesn't work. That's not, that's not, um, that's not the Christian notion of sharing in the divine life. But what he is saying, he is talking about a close union and harmony. So think of that idea of the branch and the vine, right? Uh, of the Father welcoming us into that uh, very close and complete unity and harmony. How else is it described here? What else do you see? Mm-hmm. So the union and the unity that we have as a visible body of Christ should reflect back on the unity and the union that is in the Father. You see the same inness language, right? There's the inness of the Father and the Son. Uh, the Father's in me, I'm in the Father. Uh, but then that inness is shared with uh, believers. The Son is in believers, and the believers are in the Son. Um, so we see, we see that again. What else do you see? There's at least a reflection. Yeah, there's a reflection. And, what, and that's why I'm saying the oneness here is not emphasizing being. The oneness here is emphasizing a union, uh, even as he said in the previous passage, a unity of work, right? That, okay, what, um, whatever my, uh, my father and I do the same works, right? And if you think about then applying to that notion to the church, right, we have the same will uh, together to glorify the son, to glorify the father. We have the same desire to do the same works, we have the same love, right? He brings up love here, right? The love that is between the Father and Son for all eternity, he is bringing believers into that so that believers ought to have the same love for one another, right? Uh, he even describes it in terms of glory. Father, you give me this glory, and I want these people to see my glory and to be invited in that glory, right? Um, and so uh, it's, like you said, Rachel, it's, it's, it's tangible. There's a tangibleness to this oneness, uh, that we can that we can understand, which then gives us even as we think about application, right? That brings a whole level of um, sober joy to who we are to be as a people, right? Uh, we are to strive for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what Paul would talk about, right? Why? Because it ultimately is reflecting back on God's own unity and character, right? Uh, so it gives a whole other impetus to our unity as a people. Okay, good. Uh, and I already alluded to this. Let's, let's, um, there's, uh, let's see one more passage with regard to, to the oneness idea and even how the believers are kind of swept up into that. Let's go to 1 John. Let's go to 1 John 4. It's amazing kind of looking at the, all the passages. This inness and oneness idea is a big idea in John. He brings it up multiple times, not only with the Trinity, but with then believers, as we've already said. First uh, John four, twelve through sixteen. Someone go ahead and read that. Okay, so what do you see here about oneness, about inness, which is kind of a synonymous idea? What do you see? Yes, yeah, right? So we go back to that idea of um, God is love, and the one abides in love, abides in God, and he abides in him. So how do you know 
one of the things that John is talking about is how do you know whether you're, in, you're God's? How do, you, how do you know you belong to God? Um, you, uh, one of the aspects is love. Love for God, of course, but then that love for God should flesh out in love for one another, right? Um, what else do you see? How do we know that we abide in God, abide in the Father, and he, the Father abides in us? How do we know that? Okay, the actions that we do. But what does John say here? So he, John does say that elsewhere in John. He says that uh, if you're obeying uh, the Father's commands, then you know that God abides in you and you abide in God. But what else does John say here in uh, this little section? Good, yeah. So also the confession of Jesus to be the Son, right? So we know that we abide in uh, the Father, and the Father abides in us if we confess the Son um, to be the Son of Jesus, to be the Son of God. Okay? What else? He's given us of His Spirit. Right? And so think about how this works, right? We've talked about the relationship between, the roles and relations between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So think about how this is working, right? Um, we are uh, the, the Father dwells in us, and we dwell in the Father, the Son dwells in us, we dwell in the Son. Who's facilitating all of that? The Spirit, right? Which exactly matches, even in the triune life, as we argued, right? Uh, the, the, the fellowship and the intimacy and the closeness between the Father and Son is facilitated by the Spirit. And that happens as that is bent out into uh, to the disciples, that by the Spirit, by the Spirit of Sonship, by the indwelling Spirit, right? The Father dwells in us, and we dwell in the Father. The Son dwells in us, and we dwell in the Son because of the indwelling Spirit, right? So you see how this Trinitarian work happens within the Trinity and its oneness, but then that oneness is bent out to the community of disciples, those who are truly believers, okay? Yeah, Tony. God listens in and they in God. Now there's a relationship. But what's important, I think, is so we know and rely on the love of God, that the, relying on the love God has for us. So there is a reliance that all mm-hmm. the go back to God. Mm-hmm. And then when you continue, then we see how it's wrapped on that, relying on that love. So now he expands on that God is love. Mm-hmm. There's the source we're relying on. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We're not. Yeah, we're not detaching in any sort of way. It's that the Trinity has swept us up into it, its life, and so by the Spirit, uh, we as a we as individuals, and more even more than that, we as a people, uh, a, a diver, um, uh, multiple persons, diversity in unity are then expanding that love out to one another and then to the world through the gospel. So, yeah, good. So when we talk about um, the oneness of God, we talk about first that they are, the Father, Son, and Spirit are one being, but then we also talk about this kind of dynamic oneness of uh, unity and harmony. Really, the idea is union, right? It's, it's almost insufficient to just say unity because it's so close. You think of that imagery of the branch and the vine, it's union. Uh, that the Father has union with the Son, and the Son with the Father, and the Spirit has union and facilitates that union between the Father and the Son, right? They are one in that, that sense, okay? Any questions on, and, and that oneness works its well out into love, will, action, amongst the members of the Trinity, right? Power, all of, 
those attributes, they, they share them together, their union together with those, um, those attributes, and they work them together inseparably in the world, okay? Uh, any questions on God's oneness before we leave that, that idea, topic? Comments, questions, concerns? Again, the doctrine of the Trinity is intensely practical, right? Because uh, if we understand what God has done uh, through his persons and what, that sh- what he prays for us and sweeping us up into that life, well, then we should be striving with all of our guts towards uh, unity and closeness and mutual effort uh, in the church, right? Really, you could think, think of it like this. It's another basis for why we do church membership, right? Because we are saying, yeah, we, we welcome you into union with this church, uh, and you're part of us, and we are partnering together as this church, demonstrating the life of the Trinity together. That's what we're striving towards. It's just another angle on that whole question, okay? Uh, any other questions before we talk about prayer? How do you pray to the triune God? Going once. Oh, yeah. Genevieve. Oh, yeah, I have to preach that text in a few weeks, so we'll figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirty six, <laughs> um, no one knows that day or the other, uh, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So uh, it's not like that issue is brand new, like no one's ever thought about it before. So plenty of uh, good, healthy Trinitarians have thought about that verse in the, the past, but I get the joy and the challenge of preaching through that verse in a couple weeks. So uh, what is Jesus actually saying? Uh, what does it mean? So... Okay, um, good. So now let's talk about this idea, and uh, um, I think Carol actually asked me this question. She's like, you're going to talk about how you pray uh, in, uh, in relation to the Trinity based on all this, right? It's like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should talk about that, okay? So um, let's do that. How do you, we pray? If this is true, and how the persons relate and interact, and how they interact with us, how do we pray? Because the whole umbrella of all we've been talking about for months now, is knowing God. And when we talk about knowing God, we're talking about a relationship in which, yes, we do know more about God, but more we respond to him. Well, how do we respond to God? One of the premier ways is prayer, right? And so the question is, how do we talk? How do we converse? How do we respond in prayer to the triune God? Uh, Thankfully, um, we get a fair amount of data on this, Uh, First, we pray to the Father. We pray to the Father. Go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, um, verse verse 9. Someone go ahead and read verse 9 through 13, Matthew 6. So, Jesus, the Son, tells us how to pray, how to, and in the Luke parallel, the disciples actually come up to Jesus and say, hey, teach us to pray, uh, like John taught his disciples, and he answers essentially in the same way. Um, so, how do we pray? <coughs> to the Father, right? So, all of the things listed here, right, we want the Father's name to be honored and to be 
uh, sanctified as holy, treated as holy. We want the Father's kingdom to come, the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want the Father to give us this day our daily bread. We want the Father to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we want the Father to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay? So we pray to the Father. That is the pattern that Jesus sent. You can see this in Paul, too. Go to Ephesians 3. Um, okay, uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 21. So I'm going to read that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, go ahead in 2021. Okay, so who's Paul praying to? Father. And he's doing it so throughout because by the end you get there, to him, the Father be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, right, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the prayer is to the Father. And in general, that's true. When we pray, we pray to the Father. Now let's just pause there. We have, we have stuff to say about the Son and the Spirit too. Well, let's just pause there for a minute. How does that change your conception of prayer? What? Less confusion? Yeah, what do you mean by that, Patricia? Yeah. I guess that makes it a more uh, conscious and I mean the order of how Right. Yeah. And um and, and, and if you look through the New Testament, you look through Paul's prayers that he has like at the beginning of his epistles, you will notice he's praying to God, but what we said is most of the time in the New Testament, with a hand only a handful of exceptions, the God is referenced to the Father, right? And so Paul's prayers are to the Father. Uh, they're directed to the Father, okay? Um, sometimes we pray to, like, God in general, right? Like, when we, when we use the word God or when we use the word Lord, we're kind of just in our minds, I think, or at least I'm guilty of this, I'm praying to God in general, but not to any person in particular. But that actually doesn't square with how Scripture talks about praying. We are praying to the Father. Uh, that's how we're supposed to do it. But then the question arises, well, whoa, 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 okay, what about the Son and the Spirit? How does that work, okay? So here, here's the thing. We pray to the Father. We pray through the mediation of the Son, okay? Where is Jesus right now? At the Father's right hand, right? At the Father's right hand. And so go to a place like 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. Um... We'll back up to John as well, but let's do First Timothy two. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and do two. Yeah, let's do two one through six. First Timothy two one through six. Who wants to read it?
right? So uh, there is one God. You are to offer supplications and prayers to him. Jesus, by virtue of his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, is the one mediator between God and man. So if you, I mean, Jesus says it, no one comes to the Father except by me. So if you want to approach the Father, even through prayer, you are doing so on the basis of the work of the Son and his mediatorial work, his high priestly work um, at the right hand of the Father. Right? So we pray to the Father, but then we pray through the Son. Uh, we can see this in John as Jesus is about to leave. Go to John 16. Uh, I think it's 16. It's either 15 or 16, but um, yeah. John 16, um, 23 and 24. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Okay. The day that he's talking about here, it seems best to take as like the day, because Je Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to go away for a little bit, and then you're going to see me, and I think he's talking about his resurrection, right? So once I'm resurrected, you're going to, uh, in that day, you're going to ask nothing of me. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, right? So here's the key, right? Um, there's direction and petition and request to the Father, in the name of the Son. What does it mean to ask something in Jesus' name? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, right? So Jesus is the mediator with the Father based on his work based on our union with Christ through repentance and faith, this is how we uh, know that the Father hears us and will consider and answer appropriately our requests. Susan. Now, we, we have to, you know, understand, right? Like, there's, there's, like, think back to the Old Testament before Jesus comes, right? There is legitimate prayer that happens at the temple, right? You draw near to God's presence through uh, the means that God has given, and really those sacrifices are just pictures of what Jesus will do, right? Um, so there's legitimate prayer. But if, I think what you're talking about is more the aspect of people who pray to God, and they don't really know who they're praying to or they just know that God exists, right? And I think what we would have to, we, we want to keep in mind that God is gracious, right? Like, uh, we don't always pray rightly, and yet God is very kind and gracious um, to even listen to faulty prayers. And so I think even for that person who's like, you know, this, the spirit is stirring and seeking, or if it's, you know, genuine, right? Like, God is, God is very gracious, uh, and then he brings us along to knowledge of, oh, I actually need to approach God through Jesus Christ. Um, so I don't know if that helps kind of clarify that a little bit. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of how I think about it. Like, um, I mean, you hear examples of, like, how people have been brought to faith, and they made this prayer, and it's pretty generic, or they made a deal with God, and yet God holds them accountable to it. Um, because there's enough understanding there, and we would you know, square that with Romans 1, right, that everyone knows that God exists, right, that um, God listens to those prayers even though they don't know Jesus yet, or he works them to that point, you know, so, yeah. 
Okay, so we pray to the Father. We pray through the mediation of the Son, which is why we pray in Jesus' name. It's not just a throwaway phrase. It's not like you have to, like, oh, I didn't say in Jesus' name, so the Father's not going to hear. That's, it's not a magical word, but that's why we do that, right? Because on the basis of Jesus and his work, we are approaching the Father. That is the idea, okay? Now, the next question is, well, can you pray to the Son? Can you pray to Jesus? And I think yes. Um, one, because uh, there's, a, uh, there's at least a couple examples, but only a couple, uh, in the New Testament where you see something like that. So we're in John already. Go to John 14. Um, uh, John 14. 13. And 14. Go ahead and read that. Okay, so who's being asked here? Jesus, right? So it does seem like this is a petition to Jesus, right? So not out of bounds to pray to the Son, and that makes sense, right? He's the, he is God. He is a, the mediator at the right hand of the Father, so it is legitimate to speak to the Son, right? Uh, and he, but here's the thing, right? Whenever you speak to any of the other persons, do so according to their rule, right? So don't say, Father, thank you for dying for me, right? Because the Father didn't die for you. The Son did, right? Um, so there's that you need to keep that in mind as you're praying. Jeffrey, you had a question. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so whatever you ask in my name, that doesn't directly say you're asking Jesus, but this I will do that the... Yeah, if you ask... And I don't know. Right, ESV has a me. Oh, okay, so there's a textual issue there that I haven't looked at. So the little footnote there, um, some manuscripts omit me. I'd have to look at it and see what the, which reading is better. But I think the understanding is, is that Jesus is being asked. Um, he's being um, asked for things, and then Jesus is going to do it, Right. Um, so yeah, maybe this isn't the strongest text, but it does seem like Jesus is being asked for something, but that's a good observation, Jeffrey. Here's another one. Um, go to Acts 7. Go to Acts 7, um, at the very end. So Acts 7 is Stephen, and Stephen, (laughs) Stephen gives a whole biblical theology of, uh, the oppression of God's servants by Israel in the Old Testament, and then he kind of ends this. Um, and someone go ahead and read uh, Acts seven fifty four through 60. Acts seven fifty four through 60. Okay, so who's Stephen praying to? It seems like he's praying to Jesus, right? I mean, he's he's got, this is amazing. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he sees the Father, or at least, and the Son standing at his right hand, right? Uh, And then he prays to to Jesus. 
um, as he's being stoned to death, right? So uh, we do see some indications that, yeah, uh, it's legitimate to pray to the Son. In general, Jesus, the general pattern of our prayers that Jesus sets for us is going to be to the Father, right? But it's, from, it's to the Father through the Son, okay? What about the Holy Spirit? Uh, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray to the Father through the mediation of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I can't find a reference in the New Testament to praying directly to the Holy Spirit. I don't see an example of that. So then what does, um, does it, is it illegitimate? No, I don't necessarily think so, but I think that we pray in accordance with his role. But what we do see in the New Testament is, um, remember we looked at that, pa- 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 that passage, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the way we are able to relate as a son or daughter uh, adopted uh, to the Father is by this Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is indwelling us. Uh, go to Romans 8. This might be the passage you came immediately to mind in thinking of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, um, 26 and 27. We'll go ahead and read that. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Okay, so what's going on here with the Spirit? He's interceding, right? And he's helping us in our weakness, right? Because we don't know how to pray as we ought, which I'm grateful this verse is in the Bible, right? Um, But there's even more to it. Like, we just read that, but what else does it say? So he's interceding, but then Paul kind of develops that a little bit. And what does he say? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... uh, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit is in us, and he knows what's going on inside of us, and then the Spirit relays that to the Father in prayer, right? So he, by grace, um, fixes up our prayers, right, um, so that they are acceptable, right? It, but that's in accordance with what we saw with the Spirit's, what we argued the Spirit's role was in the Trinity, right? He's the facilitator of fellowship, the facilitator of communication, right? Which makes sense that that's what's going on with believers, You can see this elsewhere, um, Ephesians 6. Uh, Ephesians 6, we've got the armor of God. And then towards the end, um, I'll just start in verse 16, Ephesians 6. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly, but to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador of change, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. So we pray in the Spirit or by the Spirit, right? The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit empowers and helps uh, our prayers, uh, you see this in Jude. I bet you haven't spent much time in Jude lately. Um, but uh, Jude, Jude 20, or maybe you have. It's so, so easy uh, and short to read. Uh, Jude 20. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You're praying in the Spirit or by the Spirit. Right? So that's the same pattern. And remember that rule of thumb that I told you about with regard to the Trinity? From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Well, that same pattern is being reflected in prayer, right? To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That's how we pray. So we are directing our prayers to the Father, we know that they are effective through the mediation of the Son, but we are helped and aided and empowered to pray by the Spirit. Um, so the Trinity is involved in our prayers, in our praying, right? 
um, which then brings a great soberness and joy to praying, right? Uh, we can now pray, Lord willing, more um, orderly and in a way that um, Jesus um, and the, uh, the Father um, have given to us as far as a pattern of praying. So for me, this has been challenging, and I'm more cognizant, even since doing the study of how I pray. Oh, I, uh, I want to pray to the Father, and I want to pray in the reliance on the Son. And I want to pray knowing, you know, I'll pray, I will pray to the Spirit, and I'll say, Spirit, help me to pray, because that's in accordance with the role of what he's supposed to do with my prayers, right? Um, but that's, that's really how we pray, understanding how the, 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 the persons relate in the Trinity, their roles, etc., helps us to pray. Um, it makes prayer more exciting um, once we understand that. Any thoughts or questions before we close? Yes, Bruce. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So there's yeah, a lot of the charismatic kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's an overemphasis on the spirit. And so that's the problem is that you can over... If you think about how the Trinity speaks of itself in Scripture, there's an order, there's a balance, um, there's a harmony. And then we can, but we can distort that. And we can distort that with any one of the three persons, right? We could, um, we, we could uh, overemphasize the Father to the exclusion of the Son and the Spirit. We could overemphasize the Son to the exclusion of the Father and the Spirit. Or we could overemphasize the Spirit in exclusion to the Father and, uh, and the Son. And the key is, how do they present themselves and how do we... In, order, in, in accordance with the order they themselves have given, how do we live, right? So what is uh, right to do, right? It's right to, to depend on and rely on the Spirit for sanctification, for life, for empowerment, um, but never uh, excluding the Father and the Son, right? Um, and so uh, it's once you, you kind of break that rubber band tension, right? You go so far in one direction that you go beyond the bounds of what Scripture, the order and the portrayal of what Scripture has. Um, and that's kind of how I would characterize that. So, yeah. Yes, Brenda. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think can, can we ask? I mean, I mean, I like I said, that's why I brought up some of those passages. I think it's in a broad sense, is it legitimate to pray to the Son and to the Spirit? Yes, because they're God. However, the majority of our prayer and the order of our prayer should normally be to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. But I'm going to give thanks to the Spirit. I'm going to give thanks to the Son according to their roles. And I'm going to even petition them according to their roles, right? Um, and that's the key part, is you're, you're still looking at that same order in how you pray, uh, no matter who you're praying to, right? So, just Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, both, right? So I would pray to the Father, right? Like, would you save this person? Would you, you know, be, and God wants us to pray that way. First Timothy 2, 1 through 5, right? Because we don't know who he's elected, right? We just don't know that. And he is pleased when we pray for people's salvation. God wants all sorts of people to be saved. Right? So I'm going to pray to the Father, and I'm going to pray, would they come to the one mediator of the Son? Right? First Timothy 2. Uh, Spirit, would you regenerate this person? Right? Um, but see, I'm praying according to their roles in the order of salvation. The Father chooses a people. The Son redeems a people. The Spirit um, uh, regenerates a people. 
that same people, right? The same people throughout all of those, right? Um, so I hope, I'm not trying to say like, oh, you, you, can't, you can't pray to the Son or the Spirit, right? Like, but there is an order that Jesus has given us that in general, as far as a pattern, that's what we're, we're praying. So, Bruce. Right. Well, we got to be careful because um, one of the things we confess is because all three persons are equally share the nature of God, they are all equally deserving of glory and worship and honor. Um, so even the Spirit, right, deserves glory and worship as God. Um, but uh, according, again, according to the order and the pattern of things, um, you. We are directed by Scripture that ultimately the Father is going to receive uh, all glory. But then the Son also delights in that, so that's His glory. And the Spirit delights in that too, so that's His glory. So it, it all is kind of wrapped up together. Right. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and pray now. Uh, one of the things, just to point, draw your attention, sorry. One of the things, to, on the prayer prompts, I don't know if you noticed, I've been trying to put uh, more uh, petitions respective to the persons, right? So you will see in the prayer prompts, petitions to the Spirit, petitions to the Son, petitions to the Father. And hopefully that's just a way to give legs to training us in how to pray a little bit. So, But let's go ahead and go to the prayer right now. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that we can approach you, that we can come near to you through the Son, through the work um, that he has done in redeeming a people, redeeming us who have believed in, uh, uh, in him, who were brought into union with him. Spirit, we thank you that you have regenerated us, um, that you have brought us life, and you've swept us up into the life of the Trinity. Um, Father, we want to honor you this morning. We pray that you would help us. Help us throughout the week. Help us in our daily devotions to pray to you um, and to pray rightly. Help us to pray according to the order you have set for us. And Lord, help us... Uh, Give us words. I thank you, Spirit, that you you come alongside, that you intercede, that you you uh, help us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray. Help us to mature in our prayers, O oh Lord God, because we know that, Father, you answer and we are thankful. May you receive all glory and honor. Help us this morning as we gather. Uh, we gather because the Son has redeemed a people. We gather because we are sharing in the life of the Trinity. We are a diverse people, but unified through the Spirit, through um, through the work of the Son. Lord, help us as we come together this morning. May you be honored. May you be pleased in what we do uh, and pray that you would do work, do your work in the hearts of people. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.